This is Live to Lead Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Smith. Inspiring leaders want to break the excellence barrier by reaching greater heights. They are ready to unlock higher performance by expanding their horizons to capture sustained, desirable outcomes for both business and life application. But there's a problem. Many leaders today are tapped out, immobilized, and feel completely unfulfilled. Why? Because of unnecessary distraction and lack of the right support, leaving them completely off course. Live to Lead offers up the opportunity to gain insight, shift perspectives, and get inspired by listening to stories from everyday leaders just like you. I'm calling each and every one of you out right now to own your bold responsibility to lead powerfully today, tomorrow, and into the future. Are you with me? Good. Let's begin. Welcome to episode number 29 with Cornell Thomas. He says, my father's passing forced my mom to become our everything. She was now our main provider, mother, and life educator. She was forced to become an expert problem solver, and that skill was passed down to her children. My mom raised us on the adage, everything happens for a reason. And she has taught me so many lessons never to be forgotten. It's what I remember when I suffered a career-ending basketball injury right before going to play basketball professionally. And the first thing I think about when my adversity comes my way. I am a global speaker, multiple title author, mindset coach, team builder, and corporate trainer. But more importantly than any of those titles, I am a husband and a father to my son Bryce, who is five years old, and my daughter Naya, who is three years old. Welcome, Cornell Thomas. Tune in now. Let's go. Hey, Cornell, how are you? What's up, Kristen? How you doing? Good. So you know that we have been in a circle together in this coaching journey since I think it was about 2013, right? It was definitely 2013 because I remember my son was just born. Wow. And remember, I think we had a pretty small class in coaching school, but we naturally gravitated to each other. I think we almost, uh, well, I know for me, I saw you a little bit as competition. <laughs> Did you see me as competition? Was it like straight away? Was it like right at the beginning or was it just right away? Because I'm so naturally competitive. You were like a superstar. You stood out, you were confident, but everybody did really well. But people were like, oh, you know, I think I want to do coaching because I've always loved to help people. I already had my presentation going, I had prepared on what I was going to say. And you just came out of the gate like boom, boom, and this is what I'm going to do, and boom. And I was like, oh, and I remember, I promise you, I was like, that is my competition. (laughs) I love it. You know, this is the first time in six years that you've ever told me this information. (laughs) I'm laughing so hard. I remember hearing your voice and I'm not just saying it because this is a podcast. And I told you this like shortly after this woman has the sweetest, kindest voice that I've ever heard in my life. Like today, like it was such a sweet tone, the way you handled things. And when you were coaching people, first off, I knew you've done it before. Mm-hmm. And I knew that immediately. And then when you were coaching people, I don't know, it was just something about the way you did it. It was just really nice. And I was like, wow, she's really good. And don't get me wrong, everything else was cool. But sometimes when people had to go back and critique your coaching call, right? 
I would always wait for someone to critique yours. I'm like, what are you going to say? There's really nothing you can say to her. Like, so people would just be grasping at straws. They were like, yeah, that one time you breathed heavy. And uh, yeah, <laughs> so you can't really say anything because everything she said was right on. That's what I thought immediately. I didn't think of you as competition. I thought of you as this really sweet person that obviously knows her stuff and is good at what she does. Oh, I appreciate that. I will say one more thing about coaching school is I think our instructor, Nan, would peer us up on purpose because I think we naturally modeled the whole intended learning outcomes of every lesson in coaching school. Mm. Naturally. Yeah. Nan is a sweetheart. Every once in a while, I still get a message from her. Mm -hmm. And I'll be honest, the, the thing that I got from the coaching group the most, besides you and Nan, is listening. You really had to listen. That's the thing that I got the most out. I think the final exam that we took, we could have both passed that before we even did the course. That wouldn't have been a problem. Mm-hmm. But it was more just the listening and reading people. When you can't see the person's face, reading their tone and how they're saying things and how they're addressing things, you know. I think that was the thing that I got from the course the most outside of you. And our relationship is just listening intently to other people. It was so true. And you know what's funny is that we, and I know for me for sure, it came from a place where I was always, people listened to me. And I wasn't always in the seat of being the listener. So I think that that definitely was something that had to be a learned skill in the beginning. And it's funny that you see that. I do remember, but I probably wouldn't have thought of it until you just said it. I remember it feeling very unnatural for me to have the awkward silence. Remember we were taught, you don't have to just respond with a resolution. You just sit there. And I was like, this is painful. (laughs) It's like being in an elevator. You're in the elevator, you're going up with somebody, and it's just like you're going to the 20th floor, they're going to the 25th, and there's 45 seconds of absolute <laughs> awkward silence because we always want to fill space as human beings. We just want to fill that space instead of just kind of sitting there and letting it breathe for a little bit. And by letting it breathe, it's not just yourself, but letting the thought or the sentence or whatever it is that you communicated, letting that breathe for a little bit and marinate with the person and then going off on what they said. We learned how to listen and provide feedback. Did you find it all in your relationships outside of coaching school? If people weren't listening to you, was that hard for you at all? Because I know it was hard for me. Yeah, I would say, Kristen, that that's happened a lot in my life since I started this journey. Just because, like you, I'm usually the person that people come to when stuff hits the fan. Mm-hmm. You know, they're usually like, hey, see, can I talk to you for a second? I'm used to people telling me their problems and not really asking me. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's what I think our friendship, when we were best friends, now we're just like semi-close friends because you left me. Uh, I'll never leave you. I'll just joke. (laughs) I think that's what the great thing about our friendship is everything's reciprocated. We could talk and we can go on and it might be 45 minutes of you telling me what's up with your life. And then the next call might be 45 minutes of me telling you what's going on in my life. And it's like, now we're not taking score. It's just, if you need me, I'm there. If I need you, you're there. And I think that's the beauty of a true friendship. I think sometimes in our profession, people are so used to us giving advice and so used to us listening, they forget to ask, Kristen, how are you doing today? Oh, wow. That is so true. And then because we're so positive and we always want to keep the mojo going, we tend not to let people know that, hey, we have to be heard too. Because we're always in that auto mode of solving problems, being there, being the advice, being the wisdom, and it gets tiring. 
Yeah. Well, we're givers. And I heard this great quote. Someone said that the takers sometimes eat better, but the givers always sleep better. Mm, Oh my gosh. I love that. I thought it was such a powerful quote because that's what we were born on this earth to do, Kristen. Our mission on earth is to give to other people in various ways, but we're a hundred percent givers. And so sometimes at the end of the day, if you did do a score sheet, which we don't, you can say, wow, I had 15 conversations. And out of the 15 conversations, 12 of them were about other people. And three of them maybe were about myself for like five minutes or five seconds or whatever it is. But we wake up and do the same thing the next day because that's why we were created. We were created to do the work that we're doing. That's so true. Do you find that because this is the career field that we have chosen and the path that we travel down, that sometimes people can unintentionally take advantage of that? Unintentionally and intentionally. (laughs) That's Uh the human condition, right? You have people that don't know any better. They're kind of unconscious that they're taking up all your time and putting all their emotional stuff on you. And there's people that know that Kristen is going to sit down for 30 minutes, no matter how busy she is and hear their problem. I always say to people that want to get into coaching or people that are advice givers, whatever it is, that you have to be very conscious of your time. You have to be. Because if you have no time for yourself at all, then you're not going to be able to fill anybody else's cup. You got to fill yours up first, and then you can fill everybody else's cup. That's the advice that I have to try to follow the best I can. And what I would say to you and other people like us, that it can't just be you giving the whole entire time. You have to get poured into as well. I love that. That is so true. Do you find that when we don't cultivate that space of giving ourselves that time and that space and that opportunity to just refill, right? Recharge that it creates this moment of being bitter and resentful and you're upset. You know, you just feel like, oh my gosh, I'm being suffocated. And I think what happens is the people that are so used to you always being spot on, they have no idea how to deal with you having an off day. (laughs) You know what I mean? Feel that? Like, what's your problem? (laughs) You are saying some absolute facts. Everything that you're saying I resonate with and I connect with, it's almost like being a comedian. And then when you get off stage, people expect you to be funny all the time. Mm. You can't possibly have a moment, Kristen, when you're negative. You can't possibly have a moment when you're sad or you're heartbroken or hurt because 95% of the time, you have a smile on your face. So that can't possibly be you. This has got to be somebody else. And that's where that misconception comes in within our line of work and our practice. And I tell people all the time, I may talk about positivity, but positivity is not the absence of human emotions. It's not living in negative emotion. So I just don't sit in the garbage. Once that moment happens, I process that moment. I mourn that moment. I get angry in that moment. But I'm not going to let that moment become a week or a month or a year. I'm going to get I love that. I was just in a situation where we had some gunk. Somebody may have said something and the other person's like, oh my gosh, I'm just not over it. And I think to myself, when you come to a conclusion, look, this was not my intention. I'm sorry this upset you or bothered you, but there's real truth in this and let's get over it. A lot of people can't. They feel entitled to be still pissed off. Yeah. You know what I mean? And for me, I just don't go down memory lane like that. Tell me why you got into coaching. It's funny because this is not something that I would have ever thought I'd be doing nine years ago. Like ever. As you know, when I first met you, I was a basketball coach. That was my profession. I did. And I was a basketball coach for another 
five more years after my book came out and I was speaking. I got into coaching because I've always have been coaching without really knowing it. Ever since I was in high school, I remember my friends would ask me stuff and I like give decent advice. And then in college, people would ask me stuff and I give decent advice. And when I started coaching basketball, that's all it was. These kids that looked up to me that I had to give advice to and be a mentor. So the coaching kind of came natural. What didn't come natural is that it's a different type of coaching. When I'm motivating or inspiring players to work hard, it's a lot different than if you have just lost your job and you have a family and bills and you feel like you want to quit. There's similarities and parallels for sure, but it's not the same. The listening part, as a coach, you're doing a lot of the talking to kids. Now you're listening as much as you want to listen. They're young people. They're waiting for your advice. They're waiting for, you're supposed to be the old, wise, sage mm-hmm. person, right? So it was different. So when I got into coaching, I got into writing and speaking and all that stuff just because of the negativity that I saw on social media. That's why I got into that space. I just started making my own quotes and the quotes became blogs, the blogs became books, and I started to go from there. But the coaching aspect of it was just because I saw a need. There's a need. There's millions of people on this planet that think that their only reason for existence is to just consume things and die. They Mm -hmm. don't think that there's a purpose for them. People ask me, well, what's your purpose or why do you do what you do? I said, well, I think my purpose is to help people realize they have one. And that's what I can do through coaching. Mm, I love that. Did you ever struggle with your loved ones understanding this journey of coaching? Oh, of course. But not in the way where people would say, oh my gosh, why are you doing this? And just because like you, we're great thinkers. So we're thinking 15 steps in advance. Like I have a positivity summit coming up in England, but I'm already thinking about Toronto and Dubai, right? Mm -hmm. And Dubai is not until September 2020. I'm already thinking way ahead of the game. So it's very hard as a great thinker sometimes to explain what you're doing to someone that has an analytical mindset, like a A, B, C, D. We're like A, X, J, K. (laughs) We're all over. So trying to explain that to someone that doesn't have that same thought process sometimes can be difficult. And what I used to do, which was wrong, I used to just shut it down from the family. I just wouldn't tell the family anything. And they weren't negative at all. I just wouldn't tell them. But then I started slowly letting them in and then them seeing the process like, oh, this is why he does what he does. This is why he's flying to San Jose for one day to meet someone he just met on Facebook because it's it's a connection. This Okay, now I see why he's getting at. Now, if the people in my life were negative you should not be doing this, I hate that you're doing this, then they would be completely distanced away from me. They wouldn't be in my inner circle. I don't care if you're family, friends, whatever. We wouldn't be talking about my profession. We'd be talking about basketball or what the weather was. We'd be having service conversations. Wow. Oh, that's such a great point there. When you think back upon your journey and where you are now, what do you think that you've learned the most by being a coach and a speaker and a motivator and launching Positivity Summit? What has this journey taught you so far? Wow, you have amazing questions, by the way. Yeah, it sounds like coaching school, right? Questions are unbelievable. And I'm not just saying this because I love you, I'm saying it because it's true. I would say that The one thing that I would say for sure over everything else, Kristen, is that we have way more things in common than we have that are not. Mm -hmm. Like we have way more things in common. We allow media, social and regular mainstream media, we allow people, we allow our parents, we allow people to put divisive information, misinformation in our minds to make us think that at the end of the day, we're not all humans. 
mm-hmm. separated by black and white and Latino and Asian, whatever, and Protestant, and Catholic, et cetera, uh, Democrat, Republican. We're, we're separated by all these different things, all these different socioeconomic statuses, all this stuff. But at the end of the day, no matter who you are, black, white, rich, poor, Democrat, Republican, whatever, every single one of us has been through adversity. Mm-hmm. That is one commonality that we all have. If you are a human being on this earth, you are going to go through some adversity. That's just what it is. And if we just embrace that part of our humanity, like we're all going through something, mm-hmm. we'd have like this band of brothers and sisters. You bond over shared struggle. That's why when people go through like the Navy SEALs training or police academy training or sports teams that go through conditioning together, there's like a different bond because you bond through the suffering. We could bond if, if we would just get rid of all the nonsense. We would bond through that suffering and have more empathy towards each other. And our world with empathy is a world that people are going to have more understanding. And a world with understanding is a peaceful world. It's not the world that we're living in today. Mm, I love that. So do you feel that was your biggest lesson and understanding is finding that common denominator of adversity and how people respond? And honestly, that's how people can best connect. But people during adverse times, they tend to isolate and not reach out and not connect. Yeah, 100%. It's funny, that first group I ever spoke in front of, there was 12 people and they were eating at a dance studio. I spoke for free for like seven, eight months. I would speak everywhere. You know, if I speak in front of thousands of people now, I tell people, it doesn't matter who you put me in front of, 10 people, 10,000, it does not matter. The fact that people are there to see me or listen to what I have to say, I'm going to bring it regardless. I look at this like, people are like, well, man, what keeps you so motivated? And I always say the same thing. I'm not done. Mm -hmm. I'm just not done. And I won't be done until my light goes out. That's when I'll be done helping other people when I'm no longer here. How could I not have energy to go out and go to this school or go to this corporation or go wherever and do what I do? When I saw you in person for the first time, you and Shell, I spoke in front of 50 people at a real estate conference in Florida. Nobody paid my way to go there. I paid my own way to go there and speak in front of these people and try to impact these people. And and that was that. Yeah, man, it's just, it's amazing to be able to do what we're doing and do it for a living. I think it's awesome. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time I started to embark upon coaching and I stumbled across it. And a friend of mine was actually in the industry and doing really well. And we were talking and she was just explaining it. And I said, oh my gosh, my favorite part of leadership is motivating and empowering and teaching and showing the way and getting in the trenches. And you can just focus on that aspect and get paid for it. (laughs) So I was like, what? So that's one of the reasons why I remember when you came for that real estate school, it had been a couple years since we had graduated coaching school Mm -hmm. and we had not met. And I remember you crossing the street. And at that moment, it was like I had met part of myself. Yeah. (laughs) And I did not realize how little I was next to you. (laughs) It was automatic. Seriously, we hugged and it was like automatic. Then we went to this weird Mexican restaurant. I think I had just had dessert. And it was was just automatic. But it's an energy thing. Like I knew when I was going to see you, I knew it'd be just like when we were on the phone. I knew it was going to be no difference. And that's how you know that you're aligned with the right person. That is so true. I remember you said, you're so little, I could pick you up and put you in my pocket. And I was like, okay, and I'm wearing heels. But that is great. So let me ask you this, a couple more questions. 
because we take pride in our energy and we know what an important source that is to make decision, to be in action, to sustain our alignment, when you're around people that have low energy or try to siphon your energy, how does that feel for you? Unless it's someone that I have to deal with on a daily basis or someone that's a friend or a close friend or whatever, again, I'm just so conscious and wary of my time. I'm not going to give you all my time. If you're someone that is just super negative and the sky's always falling, you're never happy, everything sucks all the time, we're probably not going to hang out a lot, especially if it's someone that I've poured into and have talked to and tried to help. And it's just the same cycle over and over. Some people have to get over their shit themselves. Yes. And that's the hardest part about coaching is like, we can't save people. We can't save everyone. They just need that time to themselves to do it. And it doesn't matter how good Kristen Smith is or Cornell Thomas or whoever it is, we're not going to be able to do anything with them, right? Mm -hmm. So they're open. I always say to people, you cannot change anyone unless they're open to the idea. If they're not open to the idea of change, you can be the best coach in the world. You're not changing them. That's so true. So true. And a lot of people will talk a good game. They want to change. You're doing your initial coaching session with them. They're motivated. But then when it is time for action and to deliver, they slip into that same behavior. Right. It's so easy to talk about. That's the one thing I noticed about you immediately. Like you just back up everything that you said. Everything you said when we were doing the coaching program, once we talked on the phone, me and you actually had a phone conversation. I was like, this woman is out here doing this already. Like, she's already doing this. She's not like, oh, I want to be a coach. No, she's already coaching. She's just trying to get better. That's what made me like you even more. She's already doing this, but she's just using this to improve on the skills that she already has. Right. You're 100% doer. You don't talk a big game. You do a big game. And that's why I think our connection is so strong. Mm, I love that. And think about it. You know, you look at our class. I don't even remember some of the names. It was me. Andrea, Rick, okay, Nan, hold on. <laughs> was there uh, a Cindy? I feel like there was a Cindy. There was a Cindy Buell, I think her name was. Wow, look at you. you I feel terrible now. I think I'm done right there. Yeah, that was it. I think it was. There might be one or two more that we probably completely forgot. I just barely remember that, so that's awesome. What are you focusing on right now and why? My major, major focus is the Positivity Summit we're doing in London, September 14th and 15th. Positivity Summit is an event that I came up with in 2015 because I was sick of speaking at events for other people and seeing that one-day events were $400, two-day events were like $1,000. Anything more than that was thousands of dollars. So I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, this event is geared to only a certain demographic, which is like the 1%. Unless you're super, super wealthy, you can't come to this event and get this education. So I went to an event where it wasn't just me speaking. It was me and a bunch of other speakers. We did workshops, self-development, sure, one day. And then the second day, we did some type of outreach or pay it forward to people in need that need our services. I did one in New Jersey, New York, Los Angeles. And I've spoken in England about four or five times now. And actually, I just want to do one in England. The next one's going to be in Toronto. The next one's going to be in Dubai. And then we'll be back in the state. This is my purpose project for the world. Wow. I love it. I can remember when you first told me about it. Yeah. You know, and, <laughs> just, and I know you're so angry because I didn't go. And I kept saying, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. And you were like, listen. There. Yeah. And I remember one day we're on the phone together. And I'm so glad you did not follow through with this part. Because you said, 
if you don't go, we're not going to be friends again. Like, <laughs> you're like, you keep telling me you're going to go and you're not going. Remember it was the first one. And then the second one, you're like, listen, I'm serious. I'm about to cut you off as a friend. <laughs> but you're impossible to cut off. I hate to admit it, but you're just impossible to cut off. Well, that means a lot. One day I do see you at one at some point, hopefully doing a workshop or speaking at it. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm going to ask you two more questions. This question right now is how does somebody know when coaching is right for them or when it's time to be coached? Yeah, I think you get to a point in your life where you're looking for something more. There's not really a moment sometimes. Sometimes it is. It's more of a feeling. It's like a knowing that you're kind of stuck in life or you're in one spot and you haven't really moved forward that much. Mm -hmm. And you just need that extra push. It's like going to a personal trainer. You've been sitting on the couch for weeks and months. You're just like, something has to change. I have to put down this bag of chips and this soda and I got to figure something out. And then you go out and you do it or you go out and start running. But I think it's just knowing that it's time for a change. And when I was coaching and people that I deal with, I always do an initial like 10, 15 minute call just so it's a good feel, not just for the client, but for me. I had a woman I was talking to and she went to coaching or said she went to coaching. We talked for 30 minutes and she knew everything. She was like, oh yeah, I know that. But I was like, okay, cool. Well, you know what? It's been nice. Uh, I'm probably not the coach for you. And I've said that a bunch of times. I'm not going to waste my time. I definitely don't want to waste your time and money. So if I'm not the coach for you, you can go find out who is and we can save each other time. I love that. Yep. It's so true. How can people find you and connect with you? Because I'm, I'm telling you, I have to say this, this might sound ridiculous. <laughs> it's late. It is late. I have had a glass of wine, but really it takes a lot for me to feel empowered or motivated or energized by somebody. You know, it really does. Cause I feel like I'm that one in the room. That's usually, you know, playing that role. When I met you and in coaching school and just our friendship over the years, you have always had this natural ability to inspire me and to motivate me but you've just had this great, real, raw talk. You just clear the gunk and let's just get down to business. Let's figure this thing out. You have this great way of not wronging somebody and having somebody turn those light bulbs on because we know at the end of the day that everybody really knows their answer, but it's us who empowers them to reach in, grab it, and put it into action. So yeah. I want people to understand how to follow you, how to find you, and even attend, especially when you get back in the States, this positivity summit. So talk to the audience just about how to find you and follow you. Well, first off, thank you so much for those beautiful words. I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, and secondly, I would say on social media, on Instagram, it's Cornell Thomas 34, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, it's all Cornell Thomas. And my website's www.cornell-thomas.com. And our positivity summit, the one in England is September 14th and 15th. And it's going to be ridiculous. The speakers that we have are just insane. Stay on my channels and you'll see kind of what we have coming up. If anybody is looking for a speaker, I go all over. I was in Dubai in October. I'm going to Switzerland this October to speak. I've been all over the planet. I would love to come out and speak, especially if you're in Florida, so I can visit my buddy Kristen. <laughs> and like kill two birds with one stone. Oh my gosh. You know, I think what's next for us, we need to co-author a book together. I'm waiting for you. Seriously, let's declare it right now to the whole world. I, Cornell Thomas, and Kristen Smith, the wonderful Kristen Smith, we're going to co-author a book together, and it's going to be a New York Times bestseller. 
Oh, I love it. We're declaring it. Well, it was, as always, so nice to chat with you. Thank you so much for your time. I look forward to having you back on the show. I think that you would just be a resourceful guy on this show and people will be able to pull from you. And as always, I love you so much. I'm so glad you're here. And you know what's so funny is I don't feel like we're in competition anymore. How's that feel? I love you for that. Thank you so much, Kristen. You are welcome. It's one of those people you come across in your life and they just stay within your life. (laughs) That is Cornell. And I am so glad you tuned in with us and you probably had to have pulled a few golden nuggets from that show, maybe even pulled and walked away from our craziness together. Sometimes that's just so fun to hear two friends connecting at higher levels and just being great reminders for each other that you're doing the right thing. You're awesome. Keep going. Push forward. Thanks for tuning in. I am so glad you share this space with us. And don't forget to check out Cornell Thomas. Have a beautiful day, my friend. And until then, Be unstoppable.